In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Sometimes people here are perplexed because our new members class seems to go on and on and on over a couple of months. But did you know that in the early church they loved people so much that the new members class went on for three years? If you wanted to join the early church, you were given a sponsor who would take you to study with the pastor and teach you how to pray and help you learn about the faith. And then finally you would come on the Easter vigil. And on that night you would be baptized and receive the Eucharist all at one time. And then, even though you had been studying for three years, the pastor would say to all the new members, you need to stay for a full week, all of you together within the confines of the church. You may think you know a lot because you've been studying for three years, but there is so much more to tell and now you will only understand it because you have been baptized and been to the Eucharist. Every year, Epiphany is like that for all of us. We sweep down out of Christmas feeling that we know all about Jesus Christ. Here he is, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. He is here for us and for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins and for the nourishment of the divine life. But then, like those new believers in the early church, we are held here during Epiphany for another six or seven or eight weeks. So Jesus can explain exactly who he is and exactly who we are. And that is what epiphany means. Epiphany is the word for revelation. It tells us about him and it tells us about us. The most important and best news coming out of Christmas into epiphany is that Jesus is in fact here. He is located among us in flesh and in blood. That's a miracle that God himself is here preaching in the synagogues and calling apostles, 12 of them, gathering his church, healing the sick, feeding the poor, and making himself a kingdom here among us. What we've discovered so far is that Jesus is a very good friend and a very good God, and especially that Jesus sticks with us in honor all our ills, Jesus sticks with us through thick and thin. The second thing we've learned is that Jesus is change. It is very clear that Jesus comes at Christmas to change things. It's there in the very first stories. Jesus is here to change water into wine. Jesus is here to change fishermen into fishers of men. Jesus is here to teach us and to cure us and to cast out our demons. Jesus is here to forgive our sins and right our wrongs and pray for us. Jesus is here to make us new. And when he gets done with us, we are fit for his new creation. Beyond that, and there is a hint of that in the gospel for this morning, Jesus is happiness but he is a strange and wonderful kind of happiness. We caught a glimpse of that in Jesus' very first miracle at Cana. Jesus keeps the party going by changing full jars of water into full jars of wine and changing everybody there from desperate, especially the bride and groom. He changes everybody there from desperate to happy. 
Behind that happiness, however, lie St. Mary's final words to the servants and to us, the last words that St. Mary ever spoke in Scripture. Do whatever he tells you. Because whenever anybody does what Jesus says, it is only then that life is full and that the happiness goes on and on. Doing what Jesus says is the only way to keep the party going, to be that strange and wonderful thing called church. It is the only real happiness. It worked that way at Capernaum. It worked that way at Cana. It worked that way at Galilee. And it only works that way today. With his words and his deeds, with his sacramental life, Jesus draws us into the church and makes us a community where life is very, very good. Blessed, as the gospel text says for this morning, as we are loved and healed and forgiven and nourished, but also as we are hemmed in and protected and sometimes stopped dead in our tracks by the word of God. So that's what we've learned so far in Epiphany that Jesus is here, that God is present among us, that Jesus means change because, frankly, we need all the help we can get, and that Jesus also means happiness, but maybe not the sort of happiness that you expected or that you're used to. We know that because Epiphany gives way to Lent, and Lent puts Jesus on the cross. No matter how much we think we know about Jesus, no matter how much we th think we learned about him during Christmas and Epiphany, at his baptism in the Jordan River and then at Cana, at Nazareth and at Capernaum and Galilee, no matter how much we think we know and no matter how much we liked it, the gospel for this morning comes as a shock. Being near Jesus not only means humility and meekness and justice and mercy, and purity and peace, those are virtues we can all get behind. It also means suffering with him. It's there in verse 11. If you are really, really Christian and you really, really follow, if you really, really obey, then you will suffer just like Christ. It means, says verse 11, that people are going to hurt you and curse you and lie about you for having Jesus so close at hand. That seems like a contradiction, I know, especially for those in the church who think that being part of the kingdom of God means their life will get better. If Jesus is happiness, how could it be anything less? It works like this. Jesus' job is to bring heaven down to earth. That's why on his very first day at work, Jesus looked around and then proclaimed, repent, which means things need to be changed. For the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when the kingdom of God is at hand, when it gets in you and it, when it gets on you, when you participate in the divine life, when you become part of what Jesus brings and you're identified by teaching and baptizing and receiving the Eucharist as his own, it isn't, in fact, true that you get happy because you've been changed. But then you should know that the world will push back. Because humility and mourning 
and meekness and pure-heartedness and mercy and peace is not the way the world does its business. And you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, will be seen by the world exactly the same way that Jesus was seen. You will be seen as a threat to the status quo. After all, as Jesus encourages his disciples later, no student is greater than his master. And if the world crucified Jesus, at some point the world is going to put hands on you too. So this morning, as Epiphany begins to give way to Lent, the purple penitential season of the church, we've learned one more thing about Jesus. Jesus is a challenge. Jesus even takes sides. Jesus blesses some things, that's true. There's blessing in the text for this morning. But very soon, as you listen to the text, you're going to hear that Jesus not only curses things, but Jesus also curses people. And that's new. Cursed are the rich, cursed are the well-fed, cursed are the well-pleased, cursed are the popular. They have had their day, says Jesus. They have had their day. They've had it here on earth, and someday... When all of this dissolves in a fiery blob, when it's all gone, it will not go well for them. But you're different. And so this morning, in the midst of Epiphany, you begin to get to know a Jesus who is challenging, a Jesus who is even disruptive and dangerous. And suddenly we learn that the manger was more than sweet Jesus, meek and mild. The manger was an invasion. And Jesus has declared war on this world. And it is no wonder then that in another six or seven or eight weeks, he will be dead. The text for today in the gospel is commonly known as the Beatitudes, which means happiness or blessing. But it can be stretched a bit more even to mean something beautiful. It's beautiful when people are peaceful or meek or pure or humble. It's beautiful to have Jesus near at hand. What's beautiful according to Jesus? Care for the poor. Food for the hungry. Consolation for anyone who's weeping. Standing for what is true and opposing what is false with discipline and with obedience, even, verse 11, when it means being cursed and reviled and excluded and hated. What is beauty? Beauty is the way of Jesus Christ. Beauty is Jesus incarnate. Beauty is the life of Christ. And beauty is being part of that. This may not be what you thought you had coming this morning, because it's obvious if they put Jesus on the cross, sometimes your life will be difficult too. Like him, your life becomes a challenge to the status quo. Your life means that things are going to be done differently, and certainly not the world's way. It'll be done that way all the way to the point of death and resurrection. But I would beg you not to let this gospel text slip through your fingers. After all, if you think about it, the world's problem is not that we are overfeeding the hungry and overly merciful. 
that we are over giving to the poor or overly just or overly peaceful. It's just the opposite, actually. So let's let Jesus be Jesus this morning, Jesus who is here, Jesus who is change, Jesus who is happiness, and especially Jesus who is a new kind of beauty. And let's let him have his way with us to do his beautiful work among us. What is the way of humility and peacefulness, mourning and purity, meekness and justice and mercy? And then together, let's see the blessing in Jesus' way of being, that God with us actually matters that the kingdom of God here changes us, that the Eucharist invites us to the divine life, that your baptism means you're different. It will be painful, but that is what Jesus asks of his disciples. And in the end, it's Eden, and that's the reason there was Christmas. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. amen.